is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to southcities.church. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Random question of the day. What yeah. is your favorite Trinitarian heresy? Wow. Can you say you have a favorite heresy? I'm asking the questions today. Nick. Why are you talking like a leprechaun? Because I want to find out if it's modalism, Nick. <laughs> or is it partialism, Stacy? Or perhaps is it some other heresy like Arianism, Steve? What's your favorite heresy surrounding the Trinity? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever thought about that. You shouldn't have a favorite heresy, Nick. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we don't play footsie with heresies. Whoa. Ooh. That <laughs> will preach. That's like the title of your autobiography. We don't play footsie with heresy. The Steve Rindy story. <sighs> Steve Rindy story. Uh, what, which, uh, are you familiar with all three of those heresies? Arianism, modalism, partialism? Yep. Know those are? Do you know what those are? You know, generally? Somewhat. Do you know any Arians? Uh, Arias? Um, no, he's dead. Oh. I know. He died I know a, a couple toilet, people. Supposedly. I know a couple people who were, but who are not anymore. Oh, who are they? I'm not naming those oh, names. Okay. Do you know any Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> no, not personally. Okay, well, that's those are Arians. <clears throat> Do you know any Oneness Pentecostals? Phillips, Craig, and Dean, T.D. Jakes. Hmm. Not personally. Those are modalists. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We're not here about to talk about heresy today. We're here to talk about good theology. Nor are we here to talk about the PGA live merger that <laughs> everybody's like. I just think the nation's rage and so do the sports organizations <laughs> and the Lord laughs. Now, all you need heaven. to know is that money money talks. That's, that's mm. it. That's mm. all you got to know. I'm pretty sure that's in the book of Revelation, money talks. So today we're talking about, yes, the Trinity. And if you're not familiar with the video uh, that I was referencing by utilizing a poor Irish accent, which I'm like 12.5% Irish or something like that. So I've got every right to utilize it, I think. <laughs> you certainly do. So if you're not familiar with that video, that is uh, explaining the Trinity to St. Patrick, right? By it's called, Lutheran satire. It's called St. Patrick's Heresies. St. Patrick Heresies. St. Patrick's Heresies, where St. Patrick... Try to use is in this video, and like he did in real life, three leaf you know, clover. to some degree, uh, he utilized analogies to talk about the Trinity. Hmm. So, uh, are there any analogies that are fit for the Trinity, guys? <clears throat> I think that um, analogies can be uh, perhaps like a starting point for thinking about the thing, the 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 substance of the Trinity, but they always break down every single one of them. So if you're going to use an analogy as an exact correlation, they always, they always collapse into heresy. <laughs> always. So an initial question. So today we're talking about theology proper, the doctrine of both the Trinity and the doctrine of God the Father. We're talking about Christology, the doctrine of God the Son, and then pneumatology, the doctrine of God the Holy Spirit. Pneumos, Greek word for wind. So when we talk about God the Father, who has a son. Is that an analogy? Do you look at me? 
I'm looking at anyone that's willing to bite. No. It's it not, not an analogy. An analogy. No. That's correct. Yeah. There's no simile. It's not, he has, uh, there's another person in the Trinity that's like a son and he is like a father. It is, he is actually a father to the son. Any earthly correlation is actually the analogy. So uh, does that mean that he was not the son until he was incarnate? No, it doesn't mean that. Okay, explain more what you mean about the earthly side of that, Nick. <clears throat> the earthly side of yeah, that? Yeah, what you just said. So, well, so in eternity past, uh, God the Father was always God the Father and God the Son was always God the Son. Yeah. And the incarnation... Um, is the truth that God the Son took on flesh and became physical man, mm-hmm. came to earth. Yeah, but he was always the Son. Yeah, he beforehand. did not become yep. the Son. Exactly, he became the man. Moment. There's some mm-hmm. early church heresy surrounding that. Yeah, like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Is that Moravianism? No, Mora- not Moravianism. Gosh, that's a group of Moravian. Those <laughs> Moravian heretics. Um, How dare they care about missions? Yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit more about the Trinity. Why is it important that we believe as Christians that God is one in substance without division, but also three persons that interact with the creation and each other with some just... Well, certainly distinct from creation. In distinct And ways. with some distinction with each other in some measure. Why is that mm-hmm. important? Steve, Stacy, you got any thoughts on that? Still thinking. <laughs> I, I don't have any like, I don't know, well thought out thoughts, I guess. But just one thing that comes to mind is the value of relationships. Yes. Um, and community that exists within the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity, um, and the importance of that. And we see that in creation when God made man as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's just the bare concept of before creation, there was one in three God. It was in perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect love, one with another. It is out of that that I think it logically makes sense that God would create as opposed to the monism, you know, single deity of like Islam or others where like if in complete perfection, you know, no relationship to anything, God existed. Like why then creation? I think that's a, it's a little bit of a philosophical question more than it is like look directly at scripture. Certainly one that people like Jonathan Edwards wrestled with. And others, but I think it makes sense to say, like, like out of the abundance of yeah. what the Trinity had, uh, what God had in a triune um, fellowship with Himself, that there was an overflow to creation. I think that's important. It is well, and even if you, I mean, just take like in First John, we read, "God is love." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so a lot of people just think immediately, "Oh, well, that means that part of God's character is that He loves us." which is true, but that's an outworking of the more foundational truth that God is love mm-hmm. within his being. That's part of his essential being and character, which couldn't happen in eternity past without a Trinity. Right, right? just of himself. Yeah. Yeah, how would that be expressed? Yeah, so that most fundamentally means that God has always within 
um, the eternal fellowship of the the Trinity been a God of love, delighting in the Godhead, <clears throat> and then created out of that overflow. Mm-hmm. I think as opposed to sometimes you hear, not that this is not right, but oh, God created humans because he needed that. You yeah, know what I mean? Or like lack. Yes. Right. And it, it, what it wasn't, it was out of the overflow of mm-hmm. love, like you said. And what's so mind blowing is that he invites us then not into some love that's not related to the eternal love of the Trinity, but he invites us into that very love. That fellowship. That fellowship that's of the Trinity. First John as well. Yeah. Or in and, John. and John 17. Yeah. I mean, and do we enter that crazy. love through our union with Jesus? Oh yes. Yes, we do. Mm. That's uh, getting at the soteriology we'll be talking about next week, but it's true, right? John 17, you know, that the love that we had at the beginning, they may share in it. Or even the, here's my copy of a historical, you know, theology that Mm. Nick perhaps cringes at, but I really appreciate it. I don't cringe at that. Oh, good. Uh, The idea that, you know, even that the earliest church, I think was, uh, uh, well, maybe not earliest church, like third century church, was trying to get at this idea of deification through baptism and other things that we are trying to be united to Christ, I think, through uh, illicit ways, as though you can just baptize a baby or be baptized apart from faith. Um, and that somehow deifies you, brings you closer into fellowship with the Trinity. That's certainly what the church has always thought um, in some measure or another. So this is what we're still on the topic of theology proper. This is what our church's statement of faith says about the Trinity. We believe that there is one living and true God eternally existing in three persons, that these are equal in every divine perfection. They execute, they, they act, uh, in distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation, providence, and redemption. So when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about, and the theologians talk about it in two terms, ad intra, the Trinity in itself as it relates to within the triune Godhead, and then add extra as it relates to things, creation, outside, outside of the, the Trinity. So I think it's important to say that within the Trinity, there are there's perfectly harmonious, perfectly harmonious divine perfections. And that the, the, the attributes of the Trinity... Anything that you can say about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, within the Trinity, those things are true of each other without distinction in that regard, except that God the Father is a Father, God the Son is a Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God in as much as they are revealed in that way. Respond to that. What do you think? Yeah, equal in in, uh, substance, distinct in personhood, to quote the Athanasian Creed. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. So this is our article on God the Father, and we'll talk about this, Um, talk about him. We believe in God the Father, an infinite personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. We believe that he infallibly foreknows all that shall come to pass, that he concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of men, that he hears and answers prayer, and he saves from sin and death all who come to him through Jesus Christ. You're members at the church, so you you should say yes. Amen. 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 So, um, <clears throat> Wait, is that from the member affirmation or the elder affirmation? affirmation? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. member mm-hmm. affirmation, uh, which I think is a, I, I love our elder affirmation of faith and what binds us together in unity as a church is the member affirmation yeah, and very important, I think. So does God the Father uh, foreknow, but 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit don't foreknow. <laughs> what do you think? He's setting a trap. <laughs> <clears throat> it's a they, trap. How about this? I'll I'll take a shot. They take a do shot, Steve. No ad intra. But yeah. maybe not add extra and all. Because yeah. when like Jesus talks about not knowing the time or the place. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So I think he's speaking in terms of his added humanity, mm-hmm. right? That, uh, I mean, could he in his divinity have access such stuff? Could have. He could have also called legions and legions of angels. Yet there were things that that wasn't, that wasn't the case. Um, you know. So uh, I think you're right. I think that's a, a good way of... of thinking about it so there is a foreknowledge that is shared between them in their divinity and what's unique about christ is christ in as much as he can say like i the father are one acts the book of acts talks about the spirit is the spirit of jesus etc there's this close identification yes all the attributes are harmonious within the trinity and as they interact with creation add extra there are different things that are emphasized, different things that are done. It's the father is not, you know, sacrificed for the son. You know, the spirit, um, you know, is uh, Jesus is not indwelling people. And yet he is because it's Jesus' spirit. It's the doctrine of perichoresis, which is mutual indwelling so yep. that they are in each other. I think that the safest thing that we can say about that is just what the Bible says. <clears throat> that Jesus did not give up any of his divinity. He's completely, you know, he says, I and the father are one. Mm-hmm. Before Abraham was born, I am. And that there is some sense in which in Jesus's humanity that he doesn't know the hour that the father is set for, you know, the, the return. So there are things that the scripture says and somehow those things don't contradict. Mm-hmm. They don't, they work together. Uh, and so we just affirm what scripture affirms and are happy with the mystery. <laughs> so it says here in our article that he hears and answers prayer. Um, can we pray to Jesus or pray to the Holy Spirit? What do you think? Or ought we do that? Or what's the, what's the proper way that that can happen? So do we pray to the Father through the Son and the power the spirit or by the spirit? Yeah. Explain that a little bit more. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, um, I'm just thinking like in my personal prayers, when I'm praying, I'm thinking I'm praying to the father, um, in Jesus's name or through Jesus. Um, and that can only be effectual if the spirit is in me. Yeah. But then I guess that gets to another question. Can non-believers pray? Does God hear non-believers' prayers? Uh, so if you mean by non-believers, mm. like the unregenerate, yes. right? Uh, I think he hears them, whether he accepts them as efficacious is a question hidden behind providence mm-hmm. to some degree. Because we see people, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We see examples of mm-hmm. Gentiles that have some kind of faith maybe, but some of them who don't, who are graciously heard by God in the Old Testament. Um, you know, people who don't have the Holy Spirit, like Cornelius, 
not indwelt by the Spirit, and yet the angel appears. God has heard your prayers. So even if he's a God-fearing Gentile, not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So I think that there's some stuff that's kind of hidden from mm-hmm. us. I think what you're saying is accurate about indwelt, united to Christ believers, that that's, that kind of thing is true. And yet, just if you're listening to this and you know, you're not sure you're a Christian or you're certain you're not a Christian, I don't think you should listen to our kind of intramural Christian conversation and think like, oh, well, God doesn't hear me. No, I think God does hear those who sincerely call upon him. And what does he do? What is his first act you know, in all of his graciousness? Uh, he's going to bring you into a relationship with him Yeah, by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. He hears everything. He knows the hearts of every man. He knows everyone's thoughts. Yeah, There's nothing that's hidden from him, including the prayers of everybody that have ever been uttered. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> getting back to your other question, uh, I think it's right to pray to any of the members of the Trinity because they're all God. So they're all divine. They all share the same essence and divine nature. Um, <clears throat> I try to, when I pray, kind of what guides my prayers is the, the functions that they p- play within creation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, Oftentimes before worship service, I'll pray that Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us and meet us by your power and presence dwelling within us? Because mm-hmm. that's what he does. That's one of the functions of the spirit. Um, <clears throat> and so like just guiding our prayers based on what each member of the Trinity does in relation to creation, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think is maybe a good way to think, but I don't think it's wrong to pray to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. I think so too. Um, okay, so let's talk about now Christology, doctrine of Jesus Christ. I'll read the article again here. Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in his virgin birth, sinless life, miracles, and teachings. We believe in his substitutionary atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and personal visible return to earth. <coughs> Very much a, so a little bit of an ad intra within the Trinity statement. He's the only begotten son, mm-hmm. eternally begotten. Yes. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, Nick? That means um, not that he was created, right? So that's a heresy, what, that he what? was God's first creation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's that's Arianism, right? Arianism, yes. Patrick, yep. mm-hmm. Nicholas. The, the Nicene Creed that says begotten, not made. Mm-hmm. Oh, St. Nicholas. Yeah. What the heresy? <sighs> no, St. Nicholas punched yeah. Arius. Well, did he, did he actually punch him no, or did he say I wanted to? That's folklore. I think he said it. I, no, I think he said I want to. I wish that I could punch him in the throat so he'd shut up about God or something <laughs> yeah. like that. I once went to a Christmas Christmas party that we were supposed to bring Christmas Christmas themed uh, food items and I brought St. Nicholas's punch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good. <laughs> I'm not going to award you any points for that. Anyway, so. so begotten, eternally begotten. Yeah, What's eternally begotten. Doesn't mean he was created. Um, it, it means whatever begotten means <laughs> without falling into heresy. So um, this is what it means. I think that God, uh, the father has eternally been the father and God, the son has eternally been the son. Right, so if we're talking about the ontological distinctions between the members of the Trinity, the Father has always been the Father and the Son has always been eternally begotten. 
of yeah. the Father. Yeah. So uh, this is Athanasius. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, for if the Son was not before his generation, truth was not always in God. All right. And so Athanasius concludes, God's image is not delineated from without, but God himself hath begotten it, in which seeing himself, he has delight. When then did the father not see himself in his own image, the son? The answer, never. Right. Eternally. That's that's eternally begotten. There Mm -hmm. was never a time where the son was not the son. Mm -hmm. So mystery of mysteries to some degree. Mm -hmm. Like this is not penetrable. And sometimes the crossing of T's and dotting of I's surrounding the Trinity, it like unintentionally like creeps into kind of dangerous territory mm-hmm. um, about stuff. Like you read certain scriptural passages and then you assert things that are coming out of poetic form or coming out of other things, you know, poetic um, literature that's just like, oh, this is what this means. And yet we're bringing all of the scriptures together in harmony together with uh, the way that Christians have wrestled through this question, especially and the, in the early church. And the mystery of the Godhead. And yep. we have to yep. just... Let there be mystery and affirm what we can affirm from scripture. Yeah, yeah. So then add extra our statement of faith uh, talks about, so things like conceived by the Holy Spirit, you know, in Mary's womb, um, and yet born virgin, sinless life, miracles, and teachings. What's unique in the economic trinity or the add extra, how Jesus relates to the world, Jesus Christ relates to the world, is no other person of the Godhead takes on flesh. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Let's talk a little bit about like why that's significant, unique. Well, well, I mean, apart from like, you know, everything that's wrapped up in redemption, what does it mean that, that God he was- took on flesh. Bo- yeah, that, well, that he was born of a virgin, right? Mm-hmm. There was no male chromosome passed on from a human father but only passed on from a female mother. What, why is that significant? Why do you think that's significant? Is it something to do with Adam's sin? Possibly, and that is what the early church, some of the early church uh, posited. Talk more about that. Uh, that, that was uh, my main thought. I don't know if, it, um, if we think of sin being passed on through Adam. Yep, yep. Um, and then if he was conceived with Joseph, does that make him somehow a recipient uh, of fallen, stuff? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. As opposed to conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did he inherit a sin yeah. nature from Joseph, from his mother, et cetera? Mm-hmm. That's um, the only thing I can think of is that yeah. Romans five talks about Adam yeah. being the representative head of humanity. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so inheriting Adam's sin. Yep. And Jesus didn't. And so the one thing I would say, so that's kind of the negative kind of like, um, it's a little bit the Traducian view. We haven't gotten there yet. That's more next week. That's the Lutheran view. That's the the view that Martin Luther posited. A little bit less the federal, you know, there's two heads over Mm -hmm. two kinds of humanity, a little bit more like there's a virus that gets passed through genetically Mm. to some degree in the creation of new souls and stuff like that. It's a... uh, it's a trip, but also interesting to think about. So um, to some degree, I think that's very possible. Um, what I think is more, so that's the negative side. I think the positive side and why it's important is that divinity and humanity 
uniquely cleaved together mm-hmm. in the person of the Son because who was Jesus's father? God the Father, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved upon mm-hmm. Mary, etc. So there's a Trinitarian action in the conception of Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, uh, according to the flesh, bar Joseph. So I think it's the sort of thing where it's like, we, we have to be able to say certainly the positive. My personal take is maybe the negative because there's nothing in Romans 5 specifically no, no, no. about his, you know, his human nature. birth. Right. It's just like, it's about his federal headship, right. which maybe, you know, could include that mm-hmm. as well. So it's a representative of new humanity, perhaps, you know, Joseph. It just talks about, yeah. Yeah, never mind. We can talk about Romans 5 later when mm-hmm. we get to Romans 5 other so things. <laughs> All right. Lastly, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. This is pneumatology. We believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment and to regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that he is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. So just from that statement, like, does the Holy Spirit only have to do with believers? Or does the Holy Spirit do something with, in regards to non-believers too? Well, the Holy Spirit was active in creation. Yeah, that's true too. <clears throat> the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. What would you say to my question about believers and unbelievers? Uh, well, I think it's most clearly uh, evident in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is active in the life of believers yep. in convicting and regenerating and empowering. Yep, yep. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe well, the Holy Spirit has a role in, I don't know, restraining. Well, restraining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also I think, you know, now as judgment come upon the world, you know, that uh, when the spirit comes, he will convict, but I don't think that Jesus only means like for the purpose of conversion, mm-hmm. but also for the purpose of mm-hmm. condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Is but, that happening right now or yes, is that later? I, I think so. I think it's happening whenever people reject the word, that that is the Holy Spirit stands over that and there's a hardening that takes place. Sure, yep, yep, um, yep, yep. But that's not just simply us and our own sinfulness being hardened, what the Holy Spirit is saying, whether uh, in, in more of a, um, I mean, depending on how you think about it, whether in a, I, I'm not going to do anything here kind of way, if we're to put that kind of, you know, words into <laughs> the mind of God, you know, treading on, thin ice here or more of an active, like this is ineffective. I'm going to harden you. This is in a, like, I'm like, we, mm-hmm. you, you don't stay neutral to God and his word. You're always moving toward or away. And so it's the spirit that's doing the hardening work yes. in the hearts of, yeah. So it's like the, the Puritan saying the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. No, I've never heard that from the Puritans, but that's pretty profound. <laughs> you haven't? I've never no, heard that either. I can say I've heard that. I think, yeah. It's a, I can't remember which one. It's a, it's a Puritan. There's a few of them. <laughs> There's a few of them. Um, good. What else would you say about the Holy Spirit? What's significant for the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer? Lots of things. <laughs> I mean, without him. Wakayam. I mean, oh. Jesus says it was better for him to go away and yeah, for us to receive that's him. significant. If we how, did not how? have the. How was well, it better? Just. Without the Holy Spirit, how would we have hope for change? I mean, you know, to even bring to life, you know, our spirits, first of all, in conversion, but then in sanctification, 
without the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's just one thing. Well, and yeah, when Jesus was on the earth, you know, he was in his humanity, he was finite. He could only be in one place at one time. Right. Right. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's in yes. every, he indwells the heart of every believer. Yep. He's our constant helper. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the temple, right? Yeah. Where he now resides. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, he's now, that's better. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because Jesus, it's Jesus' spirit. And right. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. Interceding for um, us, yeah. So if he didn't go away, there's a question, would he still be at the right hand of the Father? Or is that a part of the benefit of him going away is now he's ascending to the right hand of the Father to intercede for us? Yeah, I think well, it certainly it, is. Yeah, part of the benefit for sure. So, I mean, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. And whether that I will come to you is the parousia, the return of Jesus, or I will come to you, I will send the spirit. You know, there's a couple interpretive uh, schools there. Whatever it is, it is better because the spirit indwelling in us with the expectation of the physical bodily presence of Jesus in the future, Mm -hmm. like that kind of dual hope is a dual threat to sin. Ooh, a dual, there, we're back to the sports analogies. Like, (laughs) Like it's kind of the, it's the up close, you know, under the basket and it's the three-pointer from outside the line. Like, He's a dual threat. That is, this is an analogy, <laughs> a bad one. Oh boy. The Holy Spirit is like that. Oh my gosh. So the, the disciples not have the Holy Spirit in the same way we have the Holy Spirit now? Not until Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So, and then I would say that the analogy at Pentecost is yes, we have right. the Spirit. You know, he, is, uh, he has been with you. He will be in you. Exactly. Right. Um, which is, I think, eschatological. We are now the temple type right. language. Yeah, it's yeah. a typological fulfillment. So you came, you know, deeply into the presence of God, you know, first Sinai, then, uh, well, first Eden, actually, mm-hmm. and then various altars throughout the wilderness, and then Sinai, and then the tabernacle, and then the temple, and now the new temple of the people of God. There's something pretty big when the people of God assemble on a Sunday mm-hmm. that all these little living stones come together. It's not like, uh, you know, uh, the house of God is suddenly here for an hour and a half, like in some kind of it, like, in some kind, in some kind of like, like the building is becomes that, but it is the people gather yep. in a unique way. And incidentally, when we sing the song, there's joy in the house of the Lord, we don't mean the church building. We mean the house as the people gathered people of God. Yeah, yeah. So that's just, we sing that song a lot. So that's a good thing to clarify, right? We're not talking about there's joy in this building, mm. right? We're talking about there's joy in mm-hmm. us as the house of the Lord coming together and being his temple. Yeah, good, good. Um, anything else you'd say about the Holy Spirit or anything else about well, this conversation? <laughs> now we're probably close to a half hour or something like that. I mean, not to get it to one of the biggest controversies in the history of the church, but we also affirm that the spirit proceeds both from the father and the son. Yeah, the filioque clause, the reason that the Eastern Orthodox split away from the Western Catholics in 1000 something. Yep, and I think that's important practically, just on a practical level, because that's how Jesus can say, I will be with you. It's his spirit. There was never a time Mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit was not the Holy Spirit, but proceeding from Mm -hmm. both. Right. Uh, father and son. Mm. Yeah. That's a longer combo. Maybe <laughs> one for uh, another podcast. Maybe. We'll see if we ever get down. We'll see if our producer lets us get that that uh, specific about theology. 
Well, guys, thanks for joining me today on this. Next week, we'll be back with the Doctrine of Man, Doctrine of Sin, and uh, Doctrine of Salvation. Is our producer the CEO or the chairman? <laughs> Not sure what he is. I think he's just, he's the executive producer. I see. Okay. That's good. That's good. All right. Thanks, guys.